0: Remember that as we work our way through the New City Catechism, that these doctrines, these core teachings of the Bible that we are speaking out loud together are ones that distinguish Christianity from all other religions in the world. The one that we recited this morning was the doctrine of the Trinity, of course, which sets us apart from even religions that are similar to Christianity, that God is three in one, that he is a triune God. I say that because as we work through something like this catechism, please don't see it as something that's just rote and mechanical. It is meant to engage your heart and your mind as you think on those truths and as you, as you Take them in, okay? Take them into your own heart and into your own thinking, all right? If you are guests with us this morning, welcome, especially to you. We are studying the book of Romans, and we are in Romans chapter 3 this morning. So if you would, take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 3. We believe that all of the Bible is God's Word. We believe that all of the Bible is revelation divine revelation for us we believe that all of the bible is inerrant and we believe it is all infallible second timothy 3:16 says that all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is the Scriptures that are inspired, the Scriptures themselves. And so all of it is important, all of it is meaningful, even if there are some parts of the Bible that we have to work harder at understanding how to apply to us. But there are some portions of Scripture that are more important than others, Just as every vein and artery in our bodies is important for pumping the life of blood through us, there are still some of those veins and arteries that are crucial for life. There are some veins and arteries you could live without. There are others that if you were to cut them, you would die. There are some portions of the Bible that are like that. And so I encourage you this morning, especially as we come to this text in Romans chapter 3, that that we don't listen to it like we very often listen to flight attendants on the airplanes, especially those who have flown a few times. Because you know that when the flight attendant stands up and begins to do this stuff, you know, and pull the mask and show you the, the raft and everything that, I mean, the flotation device, you know, the thing, uh, life preserver, <laughs> the raft, you put the raft around your neck. And... But when they do that, we just all kind of tune out. Most of us, I know I do, I have to work if I'm going to pay attention to that, and reminded, be reminded that I could die on this airplane, right? But otherwise, we tune out because we've seen it. If you've flown very often, you've seen it a hundred times especially for you who have grown up in the church, who have been believers for a long time, these verses will be very familiar to you. Do not tune out. Okay. Because as we return to the book of Romans today, we come to one of these vital portions. This is one of those arteries that you could not live without. In fact, you could argue that these verses are the most important verses in the whole Bible. Martin Luther, the German reformer, not the civil rights leader, Martin Luther, the German reformer, called these verses the chief point and the very uh, central place of the Bible. The chief point and the very central place of the Bible. So if you would, look at Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God who has faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, we come before you and ask that you would give us light now to grasp these most vital works and that you would make our hearts open to receive the word and to act upon it. In your name we ask this. Amen. Now, let's remember how Paul has arrived at Romans 3, verse 21. Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he declares the theme, his center thought for this letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He then goes on to explain why we need the salvation that the gospel brings. It is because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And he shows how the entire human race has rebelled against God and is enslaved to sin and enslaved to the guilt that sin has brought. This is even true for that special race of humanity that has received special revelation from God. The law. The law which set them apart to God that teaches them how to know God, how to approach God, how to please God. The Jews are also under sin and need to be saved from God's wrath just like the rest of humanity. Paul concludes this section then in chapter 3 verses 9 through 20 by presenting us with this, uh, the fullness of our dilemma. No one is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, no one does good, not even one. One. Just in case anyone would say, except me or except us. Paul says, no, nobody. And it is under these charges that every mouth is stopped and the whole world is accountable to God. The whole human race and every individual member of this race stands in God's courtroom before him guilty as charged. And sentenced by his wrath. What do we do? What's the answer? Paul has not presented us with this tragedy only to leave us. You may not have woken up this morning thinking, Am I right with God? Or, How can I make sure that I'm right with God? But you should have. Because there is no other question as important as this one. There is no other pursuit in life that is as important as this one. Not even matters of life and death are more important. Even if you were to say to me, Sean, you you don't understand the crisis that I'm in. The crisis that my spouse is in or my family. The question, am I right with God? Is something I have to get to later. I would say that the reality of death makes the question, Am I right with God, all the more crucial? And I would say that whatever difficulty or whatever crisis that you face in life is God's way of bringing you to this question How can I know that I am right with God? Because life is short, life is fragile. And there is no question more important than that one. How can we know that we are right with God? What about the law? Can we turn to the law? Now, this is how Paul expects us to answer the dilemma, according to chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, the verses that precede our text this morning. And it makes sense that we would look to the law. It is the law that reveals God's holiness. It is the law that reveals God's will for his people. It reveals right and uh, wrong. And if we want to worship him, if we want to please him, the law tells us how to. And to be frankly honest, it's all that we would have to go by. It's the only light that we have by which we can walk. So turning to the law and figuring out how to establish a right relationship with God to gain a right standing before God makes sense for Gentiles as well as Jews. But chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 make it clear that the law is a dead-end street for anyone who is after righteousness, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. There you go. The law only informs us of our sin and our guilt and convicts us of them. It can't provide righteousness. The law cannot justify you before God. And you cannot justify yourself before God by keeping the law, nor can I. No human being will be justified in his sight. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 provide the answer to our crisis even if it's a crisis that not all of us acknowledge that we're in. And it does this by explaining that there is a righteousness from God. There is a righteousness from God. When Paul says here the righteousness of God in verse 21 and again in verse 22, he means a righteousness that comes from God. This is a righteousness which God gives that god provides here is the answer god himself the judge himself provides the very righteousness we need to stand justified before him so it is righteousness from god for us romans 3:21 through 26 shows that god's righteousness for us first is revealed in the gospel. It is revealed in the gospel. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So in the past, the law was all anybody had, most immediately the Jewish people and directly the rest of humanity. But now, in time, in the flow of history as part of an unfolding plan, God has manifested his righteousness. This word manifested means he has made it visible, he has made this righteousness knowable. What this really means is that God has now offered his righteousness. By making it known, he makes it available. He has made a way to be made right with him. So the righteousness of God is the righteousness from God. And so when Paul says, but now, he means that this is a a new age has dawned. A new era of salvation has begun because God has intervened in human history And made his righteousness known and available. And he has now done so apart from the law. So the law here then is not presented as just something to be done, something to be performed, a series of boxes to be checked off. But the law is what creates a relationship between a person and God. How you could know him, how you could approach him, how you could seek him. Before, the law was the only illumination for the human race. It was given to a certain nation, a people group, but it was the only illumination for the entire human race. And the law revealed that we are under the power of sin, that we are justly condemned, that we are destined for God's wrath. That's what Paul means in verse 20 by it provides a knowledge of sin that's what comes through the law now somewhere other than the law god has made his provision of righteousness known this is why verse 20 says that no human being will be justified in his sight through the law comes the knowledge of sin So the question then becomes where? Where is the righteousness manifested? Where is it made known? Where is it made available in the gospel? And here in these verses, Paul doesn't use the word gospel, but he is is now elaborating on what he said back in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness from God is revealed. And what Romans 3 verse 21 makes uh, obvious is that what the gospel reveals is not that God is righteous, though that is true, but that the gospel reveals God's provision of righteousness and his offer of righteousness, But as there is a shift from the law to the gospel then, but now, now that there is this new age, this new era of salvation, there is also a relationship between the law and the gospel, because the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, the law and the prophets here means the whole Old Testament. Paul is talking about what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, The whole Old Testament scriptures bear witness to this newly revealed righteousness. They point toward it. They promise it. But more importantly, now that it's here, now that this new era of salvation has come, the Old Testament stands up before the human race And testifies to the truth of the gospel and its power to save according to God's plan from the very beginning. Now, do you remember the courtroom scene from verses 9 through 20? Every human being stands condemned before the judge. We are guilty as charged. The law is the standard of righteousness by which we are all condemned. The law is what exposes us as being rebels, as being sinners. But now the judge himself produces a righteousness by which each of us can be declared right. By which each of us can be declared not guilty as opposed to guilty. And the Old Testament scriptures stand up in court as a witness. Paul says they bear witness. They stand up in the court and they agree. They agree. So the very law and prophets by which we are condemned are the very ones that now instead of contradicting the gospel, arguing against it, stand beside the gospel, and with one voice cry, we confirm the gospel. We testify to its truth and power as the salvation that we promised would come. Jesus said this very thing when he said to the disciples in Luke chapter 24, Verses 44 and 45, after he had risen from the dead and has now appeared to his disciples, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus had to open his disciples' minds to understand the scriptures, because even though they pointed to Christ, even though they pointed to this salvation to come, these truths were veiled. They were hidden in those scriptures. This this explains why even Jesus' disciples who believe in him are confused. They don't understand the newness of what Jesus has brought and what he is teaching because it was hidden in the Old Testament scriptures. And they need Jesus to open their minds, to illuminate, to help them to see it. But now God has provided a righteousness for people Apart from the law, and yet it is confirmed by the law's witness. It is confirmed by the law's witness. If this righteousness from God is now available, then can we obtain it? God has offered it. How can we gain this righteousness? Yes, we can. And Paul tells us right here that God's righteousness for us is gained by faith. It is gained by faith. This righteousness now revealed is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How can righteousness be gained? By faith, by placing one's trust in Jesus Christ. Faith is more than intellectually accepting a claim to be true. Okay, it's more than just having knowledge. James illustrates this kind of faith in James chapter 2, verse 19, when he writes, You believe that God is one, you do well. And he is challenging those who are claiming to have faith, but they are not living accordingly. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. If that's what you want to call faith, that kind of faith qualifies as the faith of demons. Simply having knowledge, simply acknowledging a claim, a person can know and accept certain facts as true but not align himself or herself with those truths. Can can acknowledge them as true and hear them and never receive them, never actually believe. You can hear the gospel over and over and never disagree with it, but neglect to respond with faith. This is my greatest fear for people who grow up in Christian homes and grow up in church. Is that they will hear the gospel over and over and over. And hear it so many times and be able to answer every question. But have never responded in faith. And their, their church is filled with unbelievers who wear Christianity, but who have never been converted. Faith is more than intellectually accepting a claim to be true. Faith is not a blind leap either. You've heard this faith is is taking a blind leap of faith. used to be an old uh, cliche or bit of wisdom, it was, I believe in Jesus because if it turns out to be true, then you've hit it, you're glad. And if it turns out not to be true, okay, then you've had a good life anyway. Paul doesn't say that in First Corinthians chapter 15. He says that if it's not true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are fools, we are the most to be pitied because we're a bunch of dupes. Faith is not a blind leap. Faith is not acting like something is true because you think it might be true and you're going to take a chance because you're brave. That's, that's like a Disney movie. Okay, That is not the Christian faith. Christian faith is a confidence and an acceptance and an adherence to that which is revealed and promised. If you come to God's promises and say, "Well, I don't know if they're true or not, but hey, I'll I'll take a blind leap of faith," then you haven't understood his promises. That's not faith. It's not a blind gamble. Paul doesn't say here, but now the righteousness of God is probable. He says it is manifested. It's been revealed. And you and I are called to what? Believe it. To accept it. God's righteousness for us is gained by faith. Faith is not hype either. You know what hype faith is? Hype faith is, is the faith of uh, the pro athlete in the after game interview when, the, when the, uh, uh, the sports journalist asked them, how did you guys win? You were down 30 points and you came back. How did you guys pull that out? What were you thinking? And the athlete says, well, we just believe our team never lost faith. We've never lost faith. Which means they never lost their confidence that they would win even when they were down. I'm not saying every pro-athlete who claims to have faith in Christ has got hype faith. That's not true. There are some very strong believers in every sport. And some of them are very outspoken. But that kind of reference is not a Christian reference. That's not, that's not our slogan. That's a hype kind of faith. Faith is not something nebulous unidentifiable, I don't know, my faith got me through. Faith in what? This is my faith. No, that's not Christian faith. Faith is placing one's trust in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ means relying completely in him and only in him to deliver you from God's wrath by making you right with God. And to receive that by faith, you have to recognize, first of all, the danger you are in apart from Christ. That by neglecting this truth, by not accepting it, by not receiving it by faith, you are designated by God's wrath. It begins with understanding that predicament, that you are in danger. Life is frail. Life is short. This is one of the Bible's teachings at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. The Reformers championed sola fide, by faith alone. It's only by faith. And we don't add anything to faith. It's not faith in Jesus Christ plus doing this, saying this, sola fide, by faith alone. And we're going to see this this truth explained even more in Romans chapter 4. But this is how God's righteousness can be gained, we're also going to see how Jesus makes this righteousness available for someone who believes in the verses that are coming up here in verse 24 and 25. But first, Paul clarifies that this righteousness that is from God, that is now made known, is to be found in Jesus Christ, not the law, and it is gained by faith, not by any relationship that the law can establish, It is only by faith. So first, the righteousness of God that is for us is revealed in the gospel. Secondly, God's righteousness for us is gained by faith. Thirdly, God's righteousness for us is offered to all. It is offered to all. Who can obtain this righteousness? Who, who can exercise faith? Who is called to believe? All who believe, for there is no distinction. And when he says all who believe, he means anyone who believes. The distinction, fresh in Paul's mind, of course, is the distinction between a Jewish person who was under the law, who had received the law, and a Gentile person who was without the law. And the Gentile person, a person without the law, is described in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and following through the end of the chapter, as The human race who has rejected God, who suppresses the truth, who has exchanged the glory of the immortal God for everything he has created and worshipped all those things instead of the one true God. And whom God has then given over. The Jewish person who has received the law is described in the rest of the section, chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 2, or into chapter 3, actually, through verse 8, that the Jewish person, even though they have the law, doesn't have some exemption. Paul is just summarizing this fact. There is no distinction. Regardless of whatever lines the law drew... All can gain righteousness by faith. I used an illustration a couple of weeks ago about the relationship of the law to this national people group and the rest of the world. And I I said, you guys are divided in sections here. There are five seating sections. And I gave the illustration that it would be like everybody's in darkness and then God illuminates One section, section two, I think is who I used in the illustration. And God gives them an instruction manual. God explains in the manual how they can know Him and be right with Him and escape the coming wrath. And everybody else is in the dark, but they can see that light. But these are the, but that, but the instruction manual doesn't actually gain them anything. Paul is saying that all now can believe and the house lights go on. The light is illuminating everybody. Everybody can believe. Now again, this is the primary distinction Paul is thinking of, but this is true for any distinction we might want to draw because we human beings are good at drawing distinctions. Rich, poor, Educated, uneducated, man, woman, Democrat, Republican, Western, Eastern, white, black, Asian, Latino, moral, immoral, first century, 21st century. There is no distinction. Jesus said, In John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Whoever believes in me. This is why Peter proclaims later in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. The door is open. The offer of this righteousness is made to all. And so as much as we value diversity, here there is true uniformity. The entire human race is offered this righteousness. It's offered this righteousness. But just as... These words, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, means that this righteousness from God is offered to all and includes any person who will believe. These words at the same time exclude any other way of gaining this righteousness from God. Do you see that? This righteousness To be gained by faith is offered to all. But it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that this righteousness can be gained. So anyone who would believe will be saved, but only those who believe will be saved. There is no other way a personal privatized faith. Other religions with good intentions cannot gain you the righteousness of God. They do not all end up in the same place. Philanthropy and generosity, great humane sacrifices and works, cannot gain you righteousness before God. Religious zeal and fervor cannot gain you righteousness before God. Creeds and systems, they cannot gain you righteousness before God. Heritage cannot gain you righteousness before God. The American dream, liberty cannot gain you righteousness before God. Poverty and self denial cannot gain you righteousness before God. Just as this right standing before God is gained sola fide. By faith alone, it has also gained soulless Christus. In Christ alone, this was another truth, another teaching that the reformers latched onto. There were five of them, and we'll see them all in these next couple of chapters. In fact. Romans chapters 3 and 4 and 5 were the, the f- most fertile soil for what the Reformers called the five solas, sola fide, solas Christus, being the two these verses see. And just as Jesus said, whoever believes in me, and just as Peter proclaimed everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Jesus also said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So however good of a teacher, however much respect we want to have for Jesus, Jesus made a very clear, exclusive claim You either have to say that that Jesus has to be either rejected or accepted but he can't be seen as this open philanthropist teacher of good he's making a claim. You have to reject him as if you want to use our terminology today we would say we reject him cuz he's arrogant. I am the way. Who makes a statement like that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, C.S. Lewis is the one who is famous for presenting this, this uh, logical sequence of he is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. So there is by faith alone and there is in Christ alone. He is the only answer. Well, we'll close there today. And we'll continue with this passage again next week. If you would, if you bow your heads with me and I pray for us, I just want to the call on you to search your, search your soul before God. Ask God to help you evaluate your own heart and your standing before him. These verses really are the heart of the Bible. They are the heart of the Christian faith. They are the great summary of all that God has done for the human race. And what are you clinging to? What are your credentials in the courtroom of God? The scriptures stand forth and bear witness that this righteousness that is revealed in the gospel and that is gained by faith alone in Christ alone Would you seek any other way to God than the way God has made? Lord Jesus, we come to you and I ask that you would help anyone struggling with these truths, that you would open their hearts and minds to seek you and to hear these words and embrace them with faith and to leave behind any other prop, any other confidence that they would have in anything else and that they would cling by faith only to you, Lord. And Lord, may many be saved by your words here. And may many be saved in the days and months ahead, until you return for us. In your name we ask these things. Amen.